what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our first episode of 2014. Yay! Chris. How are you, man? I'm good. I've got all the confetti out of my hair. You know, I'm, no, I'm you're still there's still a couple pieces oh, up there. But yeah. in general, I didn't I'm want ready to tell to you. Start the new I was going to let you go the whole weekend and not <laughs> oh, know okay. there's confetti in your hair. Well, but yeah, that would have been embarrassing. <laughs> okay. Well, happy 2014 to you. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you had a good holidays. We haven't recorded an episode since right before Christmas, I believe. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So this is a uh, first one of the new year. Very excited to be here here on the Mesh TV with Foot Candle Films, our film review and discussion show. Boy, do we have a good show today. I'm very excited about this show for many, many reasons, Chris. Okay. All right. First off, we've got three reviews, two films that have gotten a lot of, actually all three have gotten a lot of somewhat Oscar buzz and sure. stirred up energy around them. Two of them kind of big films and one a little smaller. We are going to be reviewing David O. Russell's latest film, American Hustle, Martin Scorsese's film, Wolf of Wall Street, and the latest Robert Redford film, All is Lost. So... Three kind of powerhouses in their own uh, mind, yeah. both directors and actors and everything else. Should be a lot of fun conversations about those. After we do the reviews, we'll come back with a little movie news, a few items that we want to talk about that's happening in the world of filmmaking or directors or projects that we think are interesting. Then we'll wrap up the show with our recommendation of film that we think you ought to be checking out online or digitally that you may have not seen before, may have passed you by. And who knows, Chris, maybe somewhere in there we'll squeeze in a little 60-second Chris Fry uh, quick review of something, you think, awesome. maybe? Yeah? I'll begin practicing my speed talking. Go ahead, speed talking. Yes. That's it. Uh, we gave you 20, 120 seconds for the last batch of quick reviews, okay. and I realized that wasn't challenging enough. I think okay. you need to cut it down, so we're going to do 60 seconds hmm. for a quick review today okay. as well. We'll wait and see which film Mr. Fry will be <laughs> quick reviewing for us later on the show. Awesome. But with that, Chris, as I said, I was excited about today's show for a multitude of reasons. But the main reason is two of my current favorite directors. Okay. Right now, if I were to honestly create a list of my favorite directors that are currently making films. Okay. I really think the top two right now would be Martin Scorsese. And Michael Bay. You got me. <laughs> but since Michael Bay doesn't have a film out this week. We're going to go with our next choice, which is uh, David O. Russell. All right. So Martin Scorsese, David O. Russell. Those are honestly... Michael Bay, David O. Russell. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're interchangeable to some degree. Right. David O. Russell, Martin Scorsese are honestly my two favorite current directors. Okay. So the fact that they both have films that came out within weeks of each other, maybe some similarities in story, tone. That's what we're going to discuss a little later on. But let's get into our reviews. We're going to treat them independently first, review them, talk about them. Uh, and then maybe we'll see how we want to compare and contrast them. So let's get into our first one, if that's okay with you. Let's do it. All right. First one is the latest from director David O. Russell, his film American Hustle. Did you ever have to find a way to survive? And you knew your choices were bad, but you had to survive. We were so successful for so long because we kept it just small enough. If you're that successful, how come you wound up in this room with me right now? Taking orders from me. Is 
is Agent DeMasso, placing $75,000 in this briefcase for Mayor Carmine Polito. Going into this film, Alan, I, I have to admit, I, I was hesitant. You were hesitant. I was. Okay, a little nervous maybe or just, yeah, eh, not, okay. David O. Russell for me, he's kind of a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Um, like Three Kings, I liked okay. It was one of his first, maybe his first. Mm-hmm. I Heart Huckabees, I love. Yeah, okay. I love that That seems film. like a Chris Fry type of film. It is. I yeah. mean, I think he consult, mm-hmm. may have consulted my brain yes. for a little bit of it. But I really like that film. Yes. The Fighter and Silver Linings Playbook – those two like kind of trotted out like right around Oscar time. Both got buzz. Both got nominations. Both got winners, I believe. And maybe they were just victims of overhype. Okay, because by the time I saw them, all that stuff had kind of passed. Oh, see, there, yeah, okay. that's a little bit of a challenge because I saw them both when they were fresh. Like okay. you know, they hadn't okay. really picked up the big buzz steam yet. So, okay, yeah. With American Hustle, Russell reteams with stars from the recent films. He has Christian Bale and Amy Adams from The Fighter. Mm-hmm. He has Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper. From Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. Okay. And if that wasn't enough star power, Russell also cast Hawkeye in a supporting role as a politician. Or, okay, Jamie Renner. For the well, yeah, not the, mash, not the MASH Hawkeye. Uh, right. Because that would have been Alan Alda, and that right. would have been awesome. It would have been interesting. No, but wasn't. he's used him before in uh, Flirting with Disaster. Oh, right? that's right. Al- so, oh, my gosh. You just made some little connections there. Yeah. So, very kind nice. scary. Nicely um, done. How does this film about con artists working for the FBI fit into Russell's canon for you, Alan? Because I know, like you kind of mentioned, he's you're a big fan. Yeah, and I'm kind of the opposite of you, where I, I do like Three Kings. I do like I Heart Huckabee. I really liked The Fighter. Really? I really liked Silver Lang's Playbook. Yeah. See, wow. so I'm kind of opposite with you huh. on this. Those are two films I just really hold up as some great. To me, those are films where Russell hit his real stride of perfectly mixing mainstream and a very alternative independent style. Hmm. They did lean a little more in the mainstream. Okay. But I do think it was a perfect blend because I heart Huckabee three Kings still had a very avant-garde feel to both of those. Which is awesome. I know you like that. And I, <laughs> I did do, too. I, I mean, again, again, I like the films. I like every one of his films I've ever seen. Sure. It's just, I do really appreciate this phase of his career where he is right now. Gotcha. So I was really looking forward to this film. Okay. So where does it stack up in his his rapport, his yeah, uh, his, his whole filmography? Yeah. I don't like it as much as Silver Lang's Playbook or The Fighter. Those would be the top two for you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this would maybe bat somewhere third or fourth. Okay. I mean, I liked it. I did. And there were a lot of moments I enjoyed. There's several moments I would like to really see again. Okay. But overall, it did not, it didn't wow me as much as his last two films did. So from that regard, I'd say it's a little bit of a letdown, hmm. but it's still a good, solid film. So I was overall happy with it. And I know we can go into a lot of the reasons why, but sure. tell me your your perspective. You went in with an opposite. You were more hesitant and more concerned about this. Did this surprise you or did you come out ex- getting what you expected? I, it did surprise me. Okay. I, um, you know, knowing the subject matter, con men and what they're kind of going for you based know, on a true story based on a true story yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and what they're you know stealing money from people and becoming rich themselves and then they have to work with the fbi to try to get off the hook and it just didn't the storyline didn't appeal to me and in right. general i get really trepidatious about based on a true story you know sure. that kind of stuff because it bothers me what's true what's not true what do they embellish for the movie and it it just bothers me mm-hmm. but from the opening shot which even before the opening shot the title that's put on screen where it's like 
I think it was something along the lines of some of this actually happened. Mm-hmm. And then that fades away and you get the opening shot of Christian Bale adjusting a very bad toupee. <laughs> For um, like four or five minutes. Oh, yes. I mean, it's a yeah. nice, oh, yeah. long, oh, yeah. detailed shot. Um, yeah. I was like, huh, okay. Like, this is not the fighter. This is not Silver Linings Playbook. This is different. And for me, it was everything I liked about I Heart Huckabees. Because, yeah, this Three Kings is also kind of separate. Mm-hmm. It was everything I liked about I Heart Huckabees, the quirk and everything. But it was with his later period style of communicating an actual story that right. has, like, you know, like the fighter was based on a true story. And so these... It was like a perfect melding of the two. Hmm, okay. And so I was I was kind of taken aback by that and surprised. Well, good. So. Good. I, uh, you know, the story itself was interesting. I mean, it, again, so pseudo based on a true story. The idea of con men who get used by the FBI to help nail other con men. Mm-hmm. And by doing, or actually some corrupt politicians is what they're trying to help nail. The whole app right. scam uh, uh, endeavor that went on through the government where they're trying to Correct. sting operation other more state politicians by bringing in somebody, supposedly an Arab prince that has all this money that's going to invest. And it's all, it's one of those storylines where if you really try to think too hard about what's happening in the story, you probably will get a little burnout on it because it's a very complex, a lot of inner dealings back and forth. The thing I appreciate about the film, it wasn't really the story as much as I just think, I think David O. Russell's got away with his actors and actresses that he just, he can get exactly what he needs out of them. Hmm. I do think in general, the people he puts in his film have put on some of their better performances under his direction. You look at Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg's not a great actor. Okay. I thought he was pretty good in The Fighter, though. Okay. And I thought he was good in I Heart Huckabees. Yeah. And I think it's some of the better roles he's played. Yeah. Uh, Amy Adams, I think, is her best in The Fighter and now in, in American Hustle as well. We'll talk about Jennifer Lawrence a little bit later because I do have some thoughts on that. But okay. um, Bradley Cooper, I think, is at his best in this film in Silver Lang's playbook. Best compared- only coming off of uh- – Whatever that movie was about him taking a drug and getting like. Really that was cool. limitless. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and there the again, hangover. I'm not saying he's a great actor. I'm yeah. just saying he puts in his best work under gotcha. Russell's camera. Okay. Um, so overall, I just think his way of act, working with actors and getting them to, to play the scenes the way they need to be played, the way people want to see them played. I think he's got a real knack for that. Okay. So I think anytime you enjoy these last three movies he's made, it's because you want to see the interactions with these characters. It's not really the story. It's not anything fancy directing. It's not any of that. It's really how are these characters interacting with each other and having a relationship with one another. That to me is the, the real key of his success on these films. Well, and it was like, I, I would agree. And I say that also to me, whenever I see a cast, like the, you know the names I rattled off, and you know even the poster it features them prominently. That's usually setting something up for failure for me because mm-hmm. it's just like all these actors, the director. It's like okay, it's kind of you know it's kind of a danger a danger sign. So um, I was impressed that it you know I thought the acting was solid from everybody. I thought it was really really strong. And like you're saying, some of the best stuff from these people. And I guess like you say, maybe he brings it out of them. Cooper, I maybe thought he was. He's probably the weakest link, I guess, in the acting. Probably of the four, he was the weakest. But again, I like the fact that, I mean, he's a slimy character and he got to play slimy. He got to play fun a little bit more, which his, his this film in Silver Lines Playbook, Bradley Cooper gets to play interesting, fun characters 
And I think he did put in his best work. Again, I'm not saying he's a good actor. I think he is probably the weakest actor of all four of the main leads here. Actually, five if you count Jeremy Renner. I think Jeremy Renner was pretty good in his role here, too. Yeah. The one I want to call out, though, a little bit is uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, man. I'll defend her to the death. Well, okay. That's (laughs) fine. Again, I was a huge fan of her in uh, Silver Lines Playbook. Okay. Uh, I did recently catch up on The Hunger Games a few months ago, and I did find out to be a really good film that I enjoyed, and she was really good in that. Have you seen the second one? I have not yet. Okay. Yeah. I thought she was good here, but this is the first time I've seen Jennifer Lawrence act. And I say that like with quotation marks because she's very effortless in all the other films I've seen. This is the first time I've actually seen her where it looked like she's struggling to act a part. And that was a little distressing for me. Again, she was good. Okay. I'm not going to say that she didn't put in a good performance, but this is the first time I've seen her consciously trying to put on a part Hmm. where I really thought in Winter's Bone and everything else she's in, she's so effortless. She just blends in to the role. Hmm. This is the first time I saw her working a little harder than maybe I'm used to seeing her work. When I, I guess I, I read her performance a little differently. Mm-hmm. Silver Linings Playbook, you know, I was kind of like, eh, it didn't really affect me. The Hunger Games movies, she's just kind of doing a big action movie. And mm-hmm. it's that Winter's Bone I did really respond to. But in this movie, I, I guess I read her character. I read the performances. She plays the wife of Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she's very insecure and kind of neurotic. And her, I guess, being maybe a little insecure in doing the role or a little unsure, her quote, quote, acting, that just really brought to life what kind of person that woman was. Okay. Like she didn't know who she wanted to be. She was kind of insecure. She had to play the role of the wife, but then yet she kind of uh, then tried to be a little bit of a, a mafia. You know, she, she didn't know what she was doing. She always wanted to be something big, but mm-hmm. was kind of neurotic. And I, I don't know. I, oh, it was a great I character. Like, now right. that's the thing is that the way the character was written is awesome. It was a fascinating character. When she was on the screen, I was really curious about what the next actions or words were <laughs> going to be for this character. It's just there again. I just, I saw Lawrence acting more in this one overtly acting than I'm used to seeing. And I'm, gotcha. I hope it's not the start of something where she's getting, these bigger showier parts and she's really working it as hard as she can to overact in some situations. Hmm. I'm a little nervous about that. And I just got little glimpses of it in this film, but not, you know, not anything I'm going to say that she isn't a good actress in this film. She's really, really good. So yeah, her, if I could like pat her agent on the back, I think they're like the best agent in the world. Cause she did like, Winter's Bone, then she did Big Budget Hunger Games, then mm-hmm. she did Silver Lines Playbook, which granted was David O. Russell film, but still not like, you know, blockbuster type thing. Then she goes and make the second Hunger Games, then she does American Hustle. She's balancing out oh, yeah. blockbuster with, you know, not art house film, but you know what I mean, like yeah. different types of subject no. material. I think it bodes well for her career. No, no, I think <laughs> she's definitely on the right trajectory. Now, another yeah. actress I thought is on a very good trajectory too, and it's a little more gradual, but Amy Adams. Right. I will say, if you think about where she was six, seven, eight, nine years ago. She did Junebug. Was her Junebug, first which was great. Yeah. And then she did the Disney film Enchanted, which she was really good in. Yeah, she was. She's always been good. Oh, yeah. But the quality of the projects she assigns herself to were always a little more on the tame side for those first few years. Now she's really flexing her muscles a lot more these last few years. I continue to be ratcheting up my appreciation for her every film I see her in. Gotcha. It's not explosive. She hasn't done that one big part that's just blown me away. But every film, she seems to be getting a little more confident and a little more daring with what she does. Hmm. Um, I thought this was a really good role for her. I really liked her in The Master a couple years ago for uh, P.T. Anderson. Mm -hmm. You know, so she's – and I liked her in The Fighter. So she's really – 
picking some good meaty roles. And then she's still balancing it out with the whole Man of Steel thing, too, to do the, <laughs> the big commercial cash-in as well. So right. two actresses, I think, are both on the right path for being our real I mean, they're already our superstars, but I think they're going to be the ones defining actresses for this generation for many years to come. I'm going to put in my pitch for Amy Adams to win Best Supporting Actress. I'm okay. not sure which category she'll be nominated for, but I'm going to go ahead and say Best Supporting. And mm-hmm. here's why. Mm-hmm. I'm going to narrow, narrow down the scene that hopefully they'll show and she deserves to win for. She is talking with the FBI agent, Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of admitting some things yeah. and she goes in and out of an accent Mm -hmm. and it is so effortlessly done. It's amazing. Like when I was watching, I was like, Oh wow. And like, you know why the accent comes and goes and it's so flawlessly done. It was just, it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you said a a standout scene for her, I knew which one you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Listen up Academy. Yeah. I'll say a couple of things I did like about the film. Uh, for it being a crime, uh, you know, drama type of thing, you could see the previews and think that it was going to get really dark or violent places, and it mm-hmm. never really did. It stayed fairly, with the exception of one or two scenes that got a little more intense, a little more dramatic. I mean, for the most part, it stayed fairly light. Which I was surprised by. I was too. I expected to go in and be, first half was going to be more comedic, and then it would turn dark and get right. all serious, and somebody was going to get shot and killed or whatever. No, it was actually pretty light, you know, given the subject matter sure. all the way through. And I did appreciate that. It was nice to see a Hollywood film that didn't feel like it had to go overtly violent, overtly dark with this type of topic film. And the previews that I had seen, because, you know, they've been playing them at the movie theater when I went to go see other movies that we've discussed. It didn't do anything to win me over to this movie. That's what actually made me really nervous about it. I was like, because it just the, the way they emphasized a lot of style mm-hmm. and it looked like it was going to kind of veer into violence and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I don't think well, I'm it, I had a very Boogie Nights vibe it to the did. trailers. Good and I thought, comparison. OK, Good I liked Boogie Nights. I mean, Boogie Nights is one of my favorite movies, but right. it needs to stand on its own. I don't need this to be a carbon copy. And it wasn't, which yeah. is great. It it really had its own style and tone. And I think that worked really well for it. Um, the other thing I was going to say I really liked about it, some of the very small supporting actor parts, Louis C.K., I mm. thought was great in this movie. <laughs> I I thought he was good. For me, I'm not sure why, maybe just the way he was introduced into the movie. Yeah. It was a little distracting. It was like, yeah. whoa, there's uh-huh. Louis C.K. But I agree. I liked his role <laughs> and the fact he keeps trying to share. There's an ongoing gag going a story. on. Yeah. But it's, it is a gag, but it's like... Oh, it's hilarious. It's actually pretty clever and it's something a lot more. And the FBI agent played by Bradley Cooper doesn't really want to listen to it, but he kind (laughs) of, and that is so well done. It is. And I heard recently that Louis C.K. was on, I don't know, some talk show and he actually ended up finishing Oh no, no, you can't finish the story. I know, I know. That's the running gag is that every time. Uh, uh, Bradley Cooper's character wants him to finish the story he was telling and, and Louis C.K. is like no I'm not gonna you know or it gets ready to get finished Bradley Cooper tries to guess the ending is like no that's not the ending and then it breaks to another scene it was a fun ongoing thing that and, tied and, their relationship together a little bit more and I guess I could put my finger on that as some of the cleverness of Huckabee's coming mm-hmm. back into this yeah, movie like, was a that's something that. that he tried that like. I'll say a couple other uh, Jeremy Renner I did consider kind of a smaller supporting role but he was really good in this this is the best thing I've seen him do sure. I've not been the biggest fan of his work but I think he actually got to flex his acting muscles in this one and it paid off he played he played uh, the mayor uh, Carmine Polito really really well 
Michael Pena was the uh, the Sheik, which I didn't even realize until I looked it up huh? afterwards. And I didn't either. That was kind of a fun little fun little role there for it as well. Yeah. And there is one very small cameo. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but did Rus- you have any idea that was going to no. happen? Mm-hmm. I didn't either. Russell brought back in somebody from one of his previous recent films for a very fun showy role. Somebody who got to kind of play against play with their type from previous films that they've been in. And uh, it was kind of interesting, this character being in this film while Wolf of Wall Street, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, is coming out the same time. And there's some history there anyway. So, so yeah, yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. And actually the use of that cameo and uh, the cameo being able to speak a language uh, blew me away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. It's, it's really cool. When again, that particular actor, the one cameo we're talking about, is the one that I also said with a previous film of David O. Russell's, I thought was the best thing he had done in a long time, like at least 10, 15 years. Interesting. I still stand by that. I think David O. Russell knows how to get this guy to act again. Hmm. And many, many other directors working lately have not been able to do that. So, yeah. Okay. So American hustle. Here's the interesting thing, Chris, we both like it, uh, but we're liking it from different directions. I, had it as really, really high expectation. It was a little bit of a letdown for me, but I still really liked it, really appreciated it. You went in with low expectations. It exceeded your expectations. Right. I went in wanting uh, Silver Linings Playbook and The Fighter. You went in wanting I Heart Huckabees and Three Kings and others like that. So we, we kind of met in the middle. Yeah. Liking this film. And know? I think I may like it a little more than you. Maybe actually. so. But Maybe it could so. be the whole expectation. Thing. I think it was. It's one of those I really want to go back and see again because there are some scenes that I really re- responded to. Sure. Another scene I'll just call out for anybody sure. who's seen the film or for you as well, Chris. Uh, the scene where uh, Christian Bale's character, Irving Rosenfeld, which we never didn't even talk about Christian Bale. Right. I thought he was good in this oh, film. Oh, I thought he was good too. When Irving meets Sydney, which is Amy Adams, at a party. And they're having a discussion about jazz music and they're playing the music and it's just his body language and his putting on this very, uh, I don't know, just just uh, trying to be somewhat seductive and somewhat enticing to her. And, and considering what he looks like yeah, in his figure. It was just a really well done scene. And I, it, I really liked that interaction between the two of them as well. So, okay. So that's American Hustle. Let's move on to our second film, which, uh, you know. Could be something we might see some similarities or maybe not. Who knows? Uh, it is the latest film from superstar director Martin Scorsese and superstar actor. Uh, what is his name? Leo DiCaprio. Is that his name? It is. Because, you know, he's not in enough films anymore. This is true. I didn't know he works with Scorsese at all other than the last six films they've done together. <laughs> so Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, the latest film, The Wolf of Wall Street. My name is Jordan Belfort. The year I turned 26, I made $49 million, which really pissed me off because it was three shy of a million a week. We're making a name for ourselves. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. You know what a fugazi is? Fugazi. It's a fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Was all this legal? Absolutely not. We were making more money than we knew what to do. Jordan Belfort was a prominent stockbroker, apparently, in the 1990s. He ended up serving time in prison, and he also wrote a book. Well, one of Alan's favorite directors, Martin Scorsese, has now made a movie based on this book, and he chose his collaborator, DiCaprio, to be Belfort. It's rumored that Mr. Scorsese had a cut of the film 
that he was trying to get it released into theaters and the studio was kind of balking saying like, oh no, too, too, too long, Mr. Scorsese, you need to cut it back. But miraculously, obviously for reviewing it, it did get to theaters. It's like almost a three hour movie. It squeaked. It was right exactly the three year. hours. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. Three hours. Um, Alan, you were anticipating this film, I think largely attributable to the trailer, which uh, yes. you discussed. Do you side with the studio execs or Scarcezi on this one? About the length? Yeah. Um, Just as a jumping off point. Sure. Uh, I will say I think the film was a bit too long. Okay. Not to say that I couldn't see this as some sort of a miniseries if it wanted to go longer. I would have appreciated it in that kind of format. Okay. Like an HBO two, three part miniseries thing would have been interesting. Okay. Because I could have spent more time with these characters sitting in a movie theater chair at one setting, three hours was about the max. I could have tolerated the film. And uh, I, I still think it probably could have trimmed 15, 20 minutes off of it at least and not really lost anything in the gotcha. film itself. Gotcha. Does that answer your question? Sure. Clearly enough there. So <laughs> without tipping my hat on how I felt on the film yet. Right. or oh, yeah. Well, well um, and so, okay. Now your overall impressions of the film. How did you come out of the, how do you, how do you feel about it? I am so torn on this film, Chris. Okay. And I'll tell you why. I liked it. Okay. I laughed a lot. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was extremely well acted, but I came out of this film feeling so dirty and so just dark (laughs) that I almost felt like, should I really have been enjoying this? It's a very vile movie. I'll say that. I think the characters, actions, their motivations, even Scorsese's depiction of sex, drugs, everything is probably the most I've seen of that in any of his films in a really, really, I mean, I can't remember the most depictions of obscure sexual acts and drug use and all. I mean, he's always had it in many of his films. This was probably over the top. He's, he's done gritty before. He's done gritty, he's but this stranger. is, this was extravagant, you know? So I came, I came out of it with more of a moral quandary. It's like, okay, I laughed. I enjoyed this film. I really liked watching the characters. But should I have? Because ultimately, these people are mostly despicable people, mostly doing despicable things. And the shame of it is, we'll have to talk about the ending without getting, I mean, I don't think the ending is a spoiler ending, because this is based on a true story. Anybody who knows, this guy's alive, he's still doing certain things out in the business community. He wrote a book. He wrote a book. So yeah, it's not like I'm spoiling anything. But the ending of the film probably was the one part that set me off. And I think up until the two minute and fifty minute, two hour fifty minute mark, I'm really loving this film. The last ten minutes made me walk away saying, "I, I just don't know if I should have liked this film hmm. because I felt like in a way it was glorifying this guy and making him out to be some sort of hero that he wasn't." That's fair. I don't want to get too moralistic on this. I know we want to talk about the film; and it's a film review show, but it did have me a little bit in a quandary in how to feel about this film. How about you? Let me toss it over well, to you. That, that's very interesting. I think it's a discussion we could have at another time that yeah. we probably should. It'd be interesting, kind of like movie trailers, movies that we like, but we don't think we should. Yeah, <laughs> or, right. But that make us feel yeah. bad because, because that's, that's, an interesting, yeah. that's an interesting discussion. Um, but we can have some other time. How did I feel about the film? I hated it. You hated this film? I hated it. I kind of knew you would. No, really. About halfway through the film, I'm thinking, Chris and I are going to review this, and he's going to hate this film. And I, I, I'll probably be able to pick out the exact reasons why. Okay. I, I bet you probably can. No. Um, this is like our 50th show or something, and you've known me for a I long time. I know you very well. Yeah. Um, just, I... Well, first off, you it said, was too you long. Said, it, well, well, yeah. That, it was <laughs> for, a too for, my for Chris intro. Fry, anything well, no, over 89 well, minutes is too long. Let's be clear. 
if I notice a film's too long, yeah. that means it's not working for me. I'm not sure. And it, you know, it had been in the press, the scary thing about the three hours. Mm-hmm. American Hustle was also over two hours, yeah. but I never noticed it. True. Oops, I mentioned it. I swear I wasn't going to do that when you and I were talking before the right. show. <laughs> um, it's only because we just talked about it. It's fresh on your it's brain. It's on the brain. Yeah. But I did not find anyone in the th- movie that I cared about. Yeah. And that was that was the reason I thought you were going to hate it. That was problematic because I didn't care what happened to them. True. And I was just like, I don't like any of these people. They continue making bad choices, and I, I just, I see I you're really kind of wrestling. Had a problem. You're wrestling. You and I have the same moral issue with the film, where I'm not worried about how I care about the characters. I'm thinking more of should I be reveling in their their hijinks. You are taking it from a similar angle, which is, which I knew you would. As soon as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, okay, Chris is not going to like this because I mean, I knew it none of the, the characters hour. were none of the characters <laughs> were people you wanted to, you cared about, you wanted to see them do anything good, or I was interested you in did, spending yeah. time with. And I kind of had that same issue because I knew these were people I don't like, I don't like them at all. Well, and I don't want to see them be successful in any way or do anything good in life. So I'm basically watching train wrecks for three hours where I know things are going to eventually bite him in the butt. But you know, at the end, I guess I was disappointed that they didn't get bit in the butt more at the end. So that's my problem with the film well, too. And I, it, basically for me too, it comes back to the guy, like you mentioned, a lot of sex, a lot of drugs. It was an excess of excess yeah. and not in an interesting way. I'm, like I may argue with you on that. Train spotting, for example, guys doing drugs, doing all sorts of stuff, but it's, imagined in different ways it's interesting but this just to me just seemed to be one party after another one scene after another snorting cocaine off of hookers various parts of her body yeah and it just i, I was i was bored no. i was bored i, I wasn't, wasn't bored learned, i wasn't learning anything and i and i was and it yeah. there again you know it's it it was because i didn't like the people and it just if the excess to me could have been shown in more interesting ways i guess true um, I'm with so you I on just, that. I, I don't know well the thing is i liked the film I laughed at it. I appreciated what the actors and actresses were doing. And I do have some good things to say about some of the performances in the end though. I didn't care. I was like you. And I actually felt bit bad about liking the film in the end or enjoying any parts of it. It's so it's just, it was an odd film. And it, it actually bothered me. I don't think I laughed once. Really? And see, I found it hilarious. And maybe once, maybe, but it actually bothered me that some people sitting around me were laughing as much as they were. Oh, it was like, no, it was like a was, comedy. Well, see, like, but that's letting, that's letting the morals get the satire that's going on here. And you're not, I did think it was like, hilarious, but that's the problem is that I found myself laughing a whole lot. And then at the end of the film, I'm like, why was I laughing? You know, okay. it's like on the, the surface, the scene, the dialogue is extremely funny. But when you try to think about it in terms of the whole, what's happening in the movie and what, where things are going, it's not funny in hindsight. When I had to question too, why did Scorsese make this picture? What yeah. was his point? Because if he was trying to do satire, it didn't, to me, obviously it didn't work because it didn't do anything but glorify the individual. Well, there's so. one shot in the whole film where I think he tapped into the satire and it's the one that made me the most uneasy. Hmm. But that's what I think, I think was his point. It's the very last frame of the, the film. Do you remember what it is? The very last thing you see before the credits roll. It's the crowd of people yes. watching Jordan Belfort With a pen. give a uh, give speech. a motivational speech about business or making money, right. and they're staring at the camera. So they're watching us, 
they're us. They're like, like we're enamored with wanting to watch how this guy supposedly made his money, even though he's a schmuck and he's a, 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 just a complete jerk of a guy to, in so many levels. We're still fascinated by wanting to watch him. I think that was the only moment Scorsese tapped into any kind of satire and self-reflection. It's like, hey, by the way, you've sat here for three hours reveling in what these guys were doing. You're just as bad as what these guys in this audience now who are trying to figure out how to get rich by watching Mr. Belfort get there and speak. Huh. Now, you the know, reason by, it, you, by you saying that mm-hmm. you've actually made me like the movie a little better. Okay. I came away with that. But at that point, when I saw that scene, I'm like, okay, so this guy is still making millions of dollars. He's still very successful. He served a little time in jail, but it didn't seem like it was really enough. Mm-hmm. And he robbed all these people of money. A he, lot of whom didn't have oh, a lot of money. They were, to begin they were with. like middle class, low, upper, right. lower middle class people. Right. And, uh, but yet here we would just watch for three hours all their hijinks and antics and all. We're laughing. We're joking about it. We're being shocked by some of the excess they go into. And here at the end of the film, they remind us yeah, you've been sitting here watching a guy for three hours that you know is a bad person. Hmm. And that's how you left the film. Hmm. So that last 10 minutes, like I said, just made me very uneasy and made me question why I was laughing and enjoying the film up to that point. Well, and I, I would say DiCaprio, I like him. I think he's a good actor. And I thought he was really good in this. He was. Um, <laughs> he's another actor. I think he gets better. Yeah. Each time I see him, I thought Django Unchained was his best performance oh, to yeah. date. Yeah. I think this may have topped it because I think you had, he had to play this character a lot differently. That was a caricature in Django Unchained. Sure. This wasn't a character. This was a real person. And there was enough nuances in his character to make him interesting to watch. It's, it's a shame. They showed it in the trailer. Um, I really enjoyed the small little itty bitty part that uh, Matthew McConaughey Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I should have started off the segment doing the little thumping the chest, chest bump. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought, I mean, I'll go ahead and say, I thought all the acting top to bottom was outstanding. Mm-hmm. It's just there again, it makes it that much more uneasy to, at the end of the film to realize why you enjoyed the film so much. But I will say, I thought the Caprio was great. I thought Jonah Hill was great. His character is just as big of a sle- sleaze ball as, as the Caprio's was, <laughs> but man, he, he nailed it. I mean, he made us hate him at times. Um, how did you feel about the voiceover narration? It was a, it was a Scorsese film. So I totally expected it. I, I mean, it, I, I do think Scorsese was trying to capture a little Goodfellas magic mm. and there were a lot of similarities to Goodfellas. I mean, you've got the whole quick cuts between scenes, the dialogue that would kind of bridge it together, the self-reflection, the addressing the camera, which is something he used in Goodfellas a lot too. Mm-hmm. I did think he was aping Goodfellas maybe a little more than he should have throughout the film. But I love Goodfellas, so you know I'm okay with a little aping here and there. I think that quote should go on the back of the DVD box, Alan. You know, I think maybe he was aping Goodfellas a little bit more than he should have been, Alan Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, aping. That's my new. That's my because, new word. Yeah, I, definitely. I yeah. think he was just kind of. Kind of I, I admire Scorsese as a filmmaker, but this film. No. It seemed to be a little bit of a greatest hits. It's like, let's pull out all the tricks that people love about my films from 20 years ago. Right. And I'm going to kind of mix them into something more contemporary. And I think he's a talented filmmaker. And I think the film was well made. It just wasn't interesting. I'll, a couple other Matthew McConaughey. I agree. Great supporting role. Kyle Chandler right. as agent Patrick Denham. I thought was good. Yeah, uh, I, I actually I really thought he was good. And in one scene which I thought for a while was just kind of dead and really laid there and they needed to kind of edit it out and could have shortened the running time was the scene with Belfort DiCaprio on the boat. Oh yeah. 
that's my favorite first, scene. Well, and at first it was just kind of like laying around. I was like, why are they doing this? But then by the end I realized, oh, okay. You get I know, it. I know why dance. They, I know why they let it linger as long yeah. as they did. And yeah, Kyle Chandler in that scene was, was awesome. And that yeah. actually the gravitas of that scene made it really stand out from the ridiculousness, just shoddy workmanship from the rest of the film. Well, because that film, that, that scene was not focused on the excess and the shock. That scene was based on, there's a dance going on between these characters and you're trying to pay attention to find out where it's going. True. It was a very interesting scene. It was. It was unfortunately there were fewer of those in the in the movie. I will say the scene with McConaughey and DiCaprio at the beginning was very. I, I got kind of the same. I really like that scene too because it did set it set you up for what to expect the next three hours basically. And I, I wish we could have I understand his character McConaughey's wasn't the focus of the film, mm-hmm. but I wish at some point they could have double had back Belfort on that. kind of double back and either have an interaction with him yeah. or kind of like I don't know. See some play. Um, I will say one actor, new act, I guess actress that I was really impressed with. Uh, I don't know if it's Mar- Margot or Margot Robbie or Robbie. I'm not sure if her last name. She's I've never okay. seen her in anything before. She played Naomi. She played his second wife, the one got that got you. the more screen time. Okay, I've never seen her in anything before, but I thought she was really, really good in this. I thought she was pretty good um, too. Yeah, she had a, a a cheesy accent, but that wasn't you know that had to be there. Sure. Um, she, you know, not hard on the eyes. That definitely helped as well. But I think she played off the characters extremely well. And I was really impressed with her. So, you know, I liked the film. I enjoyed it. There are parts of it I would like to see again. Okay. I would not mind watching this film again, actually, as a whole. It's just. You'd have to pay me a lot of money. Well, it's just my thing is I think it reveled too much in the excess. Agreed. Too much in the forced humor, which I did find funny, but I do agree it was more forced than anything. In the end, it just makes you wonder why, you know, Mm -hmm. why play up the excess? Why play up the humor when ultimately we're following some really shoddy people? Your interpretation of that final scene and telling me that makes me like this better than this is the end. I just wish they would have done more. (laughs) I just wish they would have done more of that self-reflection throughout the film instead of waiting for that last five minute piece to do it. Agreed. All right. So that's the Wolf of Wall Street. Martin Scorsese's latest between that and American uh, Hustle. I think they're both playing still maybe by the time you hear this or at least going to second run before too long. Uh, And we are expecting to hear their names come up in some degree come Oscar nomination time here shortly. Uh, we'll take a very quick break. We come back, we'll review the film All is Lost and hear Chris's 60-second quick review. We'll surprise you on what film it's going to be. <laughs> and then we'll do a couple quick news items and our recommendations. So stay tuned. Coming back to Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts Sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. All right, and we're back here on Foot Candle Films here on the mesh.tv network. If you want to go and check out any other shows on the Mesh Network or past episodes of Foot Candle Films, visit us on the web at themesh.tv. Uh, drop us a line, let us know what you think. Also, if you agree with Chris and hated Wolf of Wall Street or agree with me and thought that the Fighter and Silver Lines playbook was so much better than anything else David Russell's done, mm-hmm. 
let us know. We want to hear from you. We'd love to mention you in future shows as well. Chris, before we move on to our third and final review for the night. Yes. I did want to ask you about comparing the two films that we just reviewed. American Hustle, Wolf of Wall Street. I obviously know which one you like better. And accidentally mentioned American Hustle, unfortunately. Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. We'll let that slide. Yeah. Here's what I want to do. Sure. Let's pretend that the Oscar nominations are about to be announced. Okay. But this year, there was only two films released. <laughs> and it was American Hustle and The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. So, who wins the Oscar between these two films for best screenplay? Without a doubt, American Hustle. Okay. I'm with you on that, American Hustle. Yeah. Who wins best actress? And it can be supporting or lead actress. Best actress between these two films. Again, these are the only two films released this year. Hmm. Wow. That's kind of tough. Um, so you're saying it could be, we're just saying best actress. Any, any, really. any performance, small or large, in the two films on, I, I with would, an actress? I would probably go with Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Margot, uh, I, I already forgot her name. Sure. Well, Wolf she's of Wall a newcomer. Street. Yeah. yeah Wolf of Wall Street. I thought she was great. Gotcha. Best actor. Small or large perform, performance in these two films. You know, I may actually give it to Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm doing that as well. Despite the fact, but that just, you know, really didn't like the character, really didn't like the story, really didn't like the movie, but his job in it, you know, and the fact that he is that movie, mm-hmm. I mean, it revolves around him. He has yeah. to carry it. So I, I might would give it to him. Actually. Okay. Best director. I think I know which way you're going to go on this one. <laughs> I'll go with Mr. Russell. And I, I, I'm with you, although I'm not as lopsided as you are on this gotcha. one. I think they're in my mind, they're close on this, but I do think Russell squeaks out the win just because I, I, I felt have, like Scorsese was a little derivative. I would of his have stuffed the films. ballot box to make sure Russell wins. You would have been like, well, if he wins, he wins. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then best picture. I know the answer for you. Obviously it's American hustle. Yes. I'm going to give the squeak win to American hustle as well. Again, my opinions are a lot closer together. I generally enjoyed both films. I do think American hustle was the better made film and it did more for me than Wolf of Wall Street did. So Wolf of Wall Street was more of a long music video, just all <laughs> sex, drugs, rock and roll type of yeah. thing for three hours. Yeah. American Hustle actually had some interesting character development and story to it. Right. And I'll kind of expound upon that just a little bit. Um, I agree that the more interesting character development was deaf. I didn't feel like there was any character development in Wolf of Wall Street, right. whereas American Hustle does. And I'll expound upon the whole characters that you like or you want to spend time with. American Hustle I didn't admire these people and I started off not liking them because they were stealing money also from Mm -hmm. people that didn't have a lot of money and they were lying to their wives and they were doing all sorts of not admirable things. They are criminals and I didn't like, but somehow through the screenplay, through the acting, through the direction, the story of the film, I actually didn't want bad things to happen. I wanted them to get caught and, you know, but I was actually worried at a couple of times that some violence was going to come on them. And that actually yeah. upset me. And to be able to do that, I was like, wow, I don't really like these people. Why am I worried about them? But it well, actually, I'll tell you what it is, yeah. is that at least in American hustle, yes, these are people that are doing criminal activities for most of the movie. However, there are some glimmers moments where they actually show care and compassion for one another. Mm. Cause you think about it. Um, Christian Bell's character. Yeah. There's actually a really great scene where he and uh, the the mayor Carmen, played by Jeremy Renner, mm-hmm. start to develop a real friendship. Right, and they have a kind of a karaoke singing bit together. And then at one point, <laughs> which I still think is hilarious, Jeremy Renner's character gives Christian Bell's character a microwave. Yes, 
And it's just one of those things where even Christian Bale's character, Ivan or whatever his name is, he's kind of taken aback. He's like, somebody's doing something nice, nice. for me. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, what they may have been doing behind the scenes was a little on the shady side and there may be some criminal activity involved, but there was a friendship there developing. And in the end, I think that friendship somewhat prevailed more than, you know, any, yeah. it, it kind of helped propel the things along. Right. Wolf of Wall Street was nothing about friendship. It was nothing about people character growing. The same characters that uh, actually Belford got worse as a character. <laughs> De-developed, like undeveloped yeah. over the course of the he film. Did. And uh, he, he and Jonah Hill's character really at the end of the film were no better, worse, nothing learned, nothing gained than they were one third of the way through the movie. That's probably where you're coming from on yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to our third and final review. Very, very different film all the way around from what we did in the first two. Money and like no money, no crime, no, no, none of that stuff. Gotcha. Uh, no swing in seventies or nineties music, you know, <laughs> Uh, this is the film All Is Lost, starring Robert Redford. This is the Virginia Jean with an SOS call over. This is the Virginia Jean with an SOS call over. Chris, we just saw this film last night, and actually, I've seen it twice now. Uh, well, one and a half times. I didn't sit through all of it the second time for reasons I'll go into in a little bit. Okay. Uh, but all all is lost is a film starring Robert Redford, and that's it. Yeah. It's just him. There's nobody else in this film unless you count a hand reaching into the water and a voice on a radio, a broken up voice on a radio receiver. That's it. Right. Level of dialogue also very, very sparse. I think we have maybe combined three to four minutes of dialogue in the whole film, if that. Right. But we do have Robert Redford on a boat by himself, undergoing some extreme hardships driven by nature. His boat starts leaking. That's the very first shot we basically get of him. His boats hit something out in the water, tore a hole in the side. It's now leaking. And we spend the first half of the film with him on the boat trying to figure out what to do. And then the second half is off the boat, also figuring out what he has to do. This is a movie about watching somebody have to process and think through, what do I do next? Right. And it does it without giving us any insight to this person whatsoever. We don't know their background. We don't know their family situation. We don't know why they're out in the middle of the ocean by themselves. Right. We don't know anything about them. I love this film based on this description I just gave you, but I didn't like this film. Wow. Okay. So tell me why I should have liked this film. Well, it's because it I'm assuming a, you liked it just from the I, I did, I did okay. like All it right. from the wow. Um, I did like the film, but I can understand why it's not fun to watch. Okay? No, it's, it's extremely grueling. It's extremely grueling. It's very stressful. Yeah. It's depressing. Yep. Um, you know, things keep going wrong for this guy. It's like, you know, and it keeps going wrong. But the reason why I admired it so much was because there was very little dialogue in the in the film, and because it hinged on just Robert Redford's performance, and it had to be an understated one because you can't, you know, there was no dialogue. When well, there's nowhere to hide, and behind, he there's know, nowhere to hide. He can't, you know, play off other actors and you know, boy, you know, rise up his performance and play. On. He can't do that. And I will say, I think for me, this is the best Robert Redford performance I've ever seen. 
Hmm. And I really responded to it because if I was going to be going out to sea, <laughs> I'd want him as my first mate <laughs> because even though, you know, he convinced me, I forgot it was Robert Redford. I thought it was a guy, a survivalist guy who was using, doing the best he could to figure out what he was going to do and was always like clicking along and thinking. But that being said, it wasn't enjoyable because it was stressful. And because he's out in the middle of the ocean, there's not a lot to look at and it's not very artistic, but it's all about survival. Mm -hmm. And, I also really liked you touched on, you know, nothing about him. Yeah. And the fact that they turned it into kind of a, you know, every man, except for the fact he has a really big boat or not really big boat, but yeah. he has a boat. Yeah. Um, but that could be his only possession. Yeah. We don't we know. Know. And yeah. I, I admire that, that they just, they didn't fall into the trappings of trying to make you feel sympathy for him. They didn't try to fall into the trappings of, well, maybe he deserves it. They just, they wouldn't give you any of the typical stuff. Flashbacks. Yeah. They could have done that. To, oh, they, that would have killed it. And, 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 and right. I think it would have killed it. And I just really admired the screenwriter and director, uh, JC Chander, who also did margin call. And that was his first film, I believe. Mm -hmm. And this is the second, right. you know, hats off to you, buddy, for making such a film like this as your only your second film. And for saying, we're not going to do dialogue. We're not going to have him cheat and be able to talk to other people. We're just going to isolate it. Mm -hmm. That being said, it's kind of a one-timer for me. Oh, it I, was it was less than a one-timer for me. I mean, but, you know, I had to see it one time. Right, but then but when you had an opportunity to I had an opportunity to see it whole... again the second night of our screening, and I was kind of excited about this idea that we, we started doing our screenings on two nights because we right. have such big membership now. Right. And I kind of got excited about the idea that, oh, I'll get to see it on a Wednesday night, and then I can go back and watch it again with a more critical eye the Thursday night. I'm like, no, I don't want to see this film again. I and there are many films I really, really like that are still one-timer films for me. Sure. This film, I'll tell you, on the surface, technically, I really admired it for all the reasons you just described. No dialogue, single-person single, single person acting, no special effects other than a couple keyed scenes I could tell. But otherwise, I mean, it was practical, everything else. Yeah. I'd no backstory, no flashbacks, all of that stuff. I love the fact that they pulled this off. I just really did not like the movie. And I, I'm trying to decide if it's because it was so grueling and so painful to watch or if it was because I just felt like I was watching a procedural somebody's just going through the motions of what to do to survive. Hmm. And I found it very tedious at times. I found it very, I, I it, it was tough for me because I questioned some of his actions and moves. And I know that's part of the point is I'm not in his head. I don't hear his monologue, which would have right. killed the film. Right he makes choices to do things and I don't know why he does them. Uh, and maybe later they come back and I do understand why he did them. There's still some decisions he made in the film. I don't understand. Right. But I think between that, the tediousness of some parts of the film and that overall just gruelingness of it, I felt like I was one of our members, a good friend of the show, Brad uh, posted on a Facebook post about this film. He's like, if you know the story of Job, you pretty much have seen this movie. Huh. I'm like, yeah, that's probably what it is. It's just knock this guy down, knock him down, knock him down, knock him down. And then without spoiling the ending, then there's an ending. Right. That kind of film doesn't work for me as well. So I really didn't like the film, but I admired it from a technical and a craftsmanship of what they were able to pull off. Well, I, I, I really liked the film, okay. um, but it would be, it is kind of a one timer for me mm. for a lot of the things we've discussed. I will say a negative for me though was um, it seemed very, the sound design was very effective and I liked the sound design until storms or bad things were happening. Mm -hmm. And then it seemed kind of repetitive and trying to force the emotion specifically 
there's a breakdown scene with Robert Redford and he's like holding his head and kind of mm-hmm. having a little bit of, the music at that point was ridiculous and it wasn't mm. just sound design. I like the sound design. The music at well, that the point music was, was kind so, of the pop. You know, it was so pop. quiet, the movie all the way through. And then there was those two or three scenes where they ramp up this, this odd music and trying to get into motion. And yeah, it didn't work for me either. So. I didn't feel like it needed it because, no. you know, I, yeah, when you're, you're doing fine without music, the whole rest of the movie, and then the music comes in, it's almost jarring when it's right. there and it didn't need to be there. I agree with that. Right. Hmm. I, you know, I admire it. I admire the technicality of it. I admire the craftsmanship of it. I just, I just didn't enjoy it. And, uh, and it wasn't even just a matter of it was a tough watch. I mean, I just really did not connect with the film. And uh, although I do admire Redford's performance, I thought it was good. Is it best actor? Eh. Uh, you know, I felt like, guys, it's going to sound so blasphemous. I feel like any <laughs> other decent actor could have pulled this job off. Okay. With training on, here's how you walk on a boat. Here's how you maneuver different things in a boat. The only scenes that Redford's performance really got me were the scenes where they focus on his face right when something goes wrong. And you could tell for about five, ten seconds watching his face, he's processing, what do I do next? Right. He got that look down pat. What? Beyond that, there's, there wasn't really that much for me to hang on to. Yeah, it, performance-wise, I think it's a really incredible performance. I think it deserves to be noticed. But it is so subtle in many ways. And you feel like, yeah, any other actor could basically not talk and walk through the same things. But I don't know. I, but I could see that argument that it's not best actor worthy. Yeah, I, I did have a problem with with all the acclaim that's coming from it. I mean, no, I don't think it's the best thing Robert Redford's ever done. <laughs> I'll, I'll rattle off The Natural, All the President's Men. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, all those are just performances I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think are so much better than this one. But I do think this is an admirable performance based on his age. Uh, yeah, know, yeah. Given his age, physicality, the fact that it's a very demanding, strenuous performance. Yeah. For that, I do give it a lot of props and kudos. It's just, it's not the top five of the year for me. Okay. You know? And it's not just because it's no dialogue. I mean, sure. there's, you know, more to it than that. Gotcha. So that's the film All is Lost. It was a very limited release. I don't think it got a huge wide release anywhere. So it may be a little tough to find if it's still in the theaters right now. But it's worth, I'll tell you this, it's worth checking out. If you've got a strong stomach for very intense, harrowing situations that are very realistic looking, uh, and you want to see a very interesting, well-crafted film, well, and I'll it's say, a it's, good choice. You know, it's just, it is grueling. It's not for everybody, too, because it's not really trying to entertain you, I don't yeah. think. It's trying to make you experience what he's experienced and not really interested in entertaining you. So I think for a lot of people, that could be a very difficult watch. Yeah, it could be. All right, well, let's move on to some movie news. We have a couple of movie news items. Actually, you know what? What's that? Let's bring out the 60-second clock. Awesome. This sounds like a good time to do it. Okay. Chris, are you ready? Sure. I'm giving you, like, no prep time at all. Okay. But I know you saw a film recently. I did. You saw Saving Mr. Banks. I did. So, 60 seconds. Tell me. What'd you think? Okay. Uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Overall, I liked the film. Uh, Tom Hanks' performance, uh, he plays Walt Disney. And uh, Emma Thompson's performance as the writer, P.L. Travers, who wrote Mary Poppins. And the whole gist of the film is that Walt Disney promised his daughters at some point that he would make a Mary Poppins film. Well, the only problem is the lady is really like eccentric, I guess Mm -hmm. is a nice way to put it. And so it took Walt Disney something like 20 years to finally get to make the movie. Hmm. Um, And he basically ended up having to call P.L. Travers, Emma Thompson, over to California and go through like a wooing process with her to try to convince her, hey, 
let me make this movie. I will say a downside of the it was an interesting story. It's interesting to hear about. But a downside is that, unfortunately, Disney produced this movie. So there were times, two specifically, I'll call out here in a second, if I have time, that um, shined <laughs> a little fast. bit too bright light on Disney and made Disney seem too good. Whereas sometimes I felt like Travers, although apparently from what I've read on the internet, she was a little prickly lady. They maybe stereotyped her too much and pigeonholed her too much as like a stubborn artist. So that was kind of a down point. But there are other supporting performances oh, in the film. Wow. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yes or no? You liked the film or not? I liked it. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, right. Let me just say quickly, quickly. My bonus. We don't have an extension. But just uh, uh, good, good performances by Paul Giamatti, BJ Novak. Yeah. And Jason Schwartzman, which I did. All three of those guys didn't know they were in the film. They do really good work. Okay, good deal. That was technically like a seventy-second review, but we'll let it slide this time. Okay. I did spring the shorter time frame on you. The hundred twenty seconds, you got a lot more breathing room. You can sure. go expand a little more. It's just a challenge. You'll be ready next time. Uh, maybe you'll be ready next time. <laughs> all right. So let's get some movie news. These will be really quick, but just we always like to kind of peruse what's going on in the filmmaking community. And Chris, I hate this. Because it seems like every time I read any kind of interesting news about interesting projects, there almost always seem to be remakes or retellings, and it's getting really freaking old. Sure. But I've got two stories about remakes or, <laughs> or reimaginings that we got to explore. Okay. Disney seems to be on this roll lately of, okay, we've done all these classic animated films. Mm-hmm. We've made all these classic fairy tale films. And people like them. And people like them. <laughs> and now we're rolling out some CGI ones off of some very much lesser known fairy tale stories like uh, Frozen, gotcha. Tangled, mm-hmm. all that. But the other trend they seem to be going towards is let's reinterpret some of our classic animated films as live action, but with a little bit of a different slant to them. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of started this with that film Enchanted that we mentioned with Amy Adams. Right. Kind of an odd take on the fairy tale princess thing. And at one point, people in there are animated and then they come to real life in New York City. That's right. right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Then we, we had a situation, not a Disney film, but related to a Disney film of the Snow White and the uh, hun- uh, Huntsman. Snow White and Huntsman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of let's take these classic animated tales and let's kind of modernize them or show them in live action and maybe with a different angle to it. Gotcha. So Sleeping Beauty... Classic Disney film. Right. Disney is now making the film Maleficent. It's a hard name. Maleficent. Sure. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Maleficent. I think that's it, actually. Is that it? Maleficent. Yes. Yes. Starring Angelina Jolie. I can pronounce her name. Uh, As the evil queen. Mm -hmm. But we get a little bit of the backstory of how she got to be evil and how she played her role in the whole Sleeping Beauty thing. It's a live action film. Right. So another film that they're working on, and supposedly there are two adaptations of this film of this story going on at the same time. One is a Disney adaptation, the other one is Warner Brothers. Huh. Is the Jungle Book. Really? Which they've done before. Uh Rudyard Kipling's story has been translated to a live action, but now Disney is saying we're going to do we're a live do action ju- jungle book. Uh now here's Interesting is that Warner Brothers is developing a project at the same time. Because it doesn't fall under, I guess, the rights are such that... Yeah, it's like a it's based on the story and not off not of Disney owner. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for a while, up until just this week, I believe, Warner Brothers had uh, director of Babel, Alexandro gonzalez Inaratu, Wow, What's signed on. <laughs> I don't know, but signed on to direct The Jungle Book for Warner Brothers. Hmm. That would have been... Really interesting. It would have been. But now he's no longer doing that. Okay. Disney has John Favreau. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Um, and they're looking at releasing next year. My question to you, Chris, is, okay, let's assume that this is now the way Disney's going to do things. That okay. we're going to take classic art uh, animated films of ours, and we're going to do live action interpretations of them. Okay. What would be a classic Disney film you would like to see, if you had to see one, a live action interpretation of? See, I... <laughs> It's hard for me to even come up with one because I really – I could care less. I like the Jungle Book movie, but I could care less about them doing a live-action yeah. version. Either version, Disney or Warner Brothers, I think I have no interest. I will say um, – yeah, you kind of sprung this on me, so I'd have to look back mm. at what my favorite um, movie would be. But still, um, the idea of Maleficent intrigues me because as a kid growing up, still as an adult, a lot of times the most interesting part to me of Disney movies are the bad guys. Yeah. So I like the angle of uh, that. Like I love that TV series once upon a time that's mm-hmm. on ABC owned by Disney. And I like that because they investigate the bad guys, what makes them bad. They make them human, but they're still bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have captain hook in that. And they have, so, and they have, uh, they have Maleficent in it too, actually. And the snow white queen is in there as mm-hmm. well. So I like that angle to it. So I'd be interested in, in the Maleficent. I don't like Angelina Jolie at all. Mm. Um, so that worries me, but Focusing on the villain for kind of a different take. It's kind of a reboot as opposed yeah. to just redoing the story. That actually does kind of interest me. Hmm. Um, I guess maybe that would be the one I would pick if we're talking like classic, classic yeah, right, Disney sure. animation. Okay. Um, how about That's you? Do you have one that you would – I mean I don't want them to do it at all. But, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I would, I would be – and actually the ones I would pick are more recent classic Disney films. Hmm. I say classic. I mean I think anything that – you know. It's been out for a while by Disney Animation. That's not their second-tier animated films. You know which one I'm talking about. Some of the ones like uh, that they've done in recent years. I kind of see Wreck-It Ralph as like it's not going to be a classic, you know, film. I see. But I do think one. I think I think Beauty and the Beast. Oh, I, well, they kind of did that with the play there, the Broadway. Well, play. true, but yeah. I think there could be a movie there. And yeah, again, right. if you take it from a different angle, there's a whole story of the Beast, how right. he became the Beast, that we really only get a little get flashback, a quick moment of. Yeah, that could be an interesting story. I would actually love to see Disney. If you're going to do a live action film, I still think live action. We have not seen Tarzan done the way it could be done in Mm. a true live action film. Now, granted that's still a more recent Disney animated film, but I just think Tarzan is ripe for a good live action version. Yeah. When I was thinking classics, I was associating with like, I know you were thinking the 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. I would, I would say that, um, Oh man, I just had one that I thought would be really interesting. And now I've forgotten it. Um, Oh, Aladdin, I think, would be mm. really cool. Yeah, Aladdin could if be cool. If done right, well. I think it could be. Because, yeah. yeah, they can do flying carpets and they can do stuff that's really cool. I guess it's probably any any Disney film that has human beings as the main characters. Of course, when you've got the animals as the characters, it's going to be really pull, tough to pull off a live-action version. Yeah, Toy Story would be dumb. <laughs> yeah, there's no point in that. And Lion King. And, you know, I don't need to have... Uh, moving mouse on real animals. But you're like right. Beauty it. and the Beast could work. I think Beauty and the Beast could work. I think still think Tarzan. I'm just I want somebody to put out a really good live action Tarzan adventure film. You know that's that, just yeah. Somebody has to do that. I could see that. So, while we're talking re- remakes and reboots, let me go on to this one. And I'm more of a curiosity for you. I want to find out your reaction to this original film that they're remaking. Okay. Point Break. <laughs> There's going to be a remake of Point Break. The Patrick Swayze. Keanu Reeves, probably the film that introduced us to the Keanu Reeves we all know and some of us may love. <laughs> no, I only say in love. Some would tolerate these days. Because before Point Break, I think Keanu Reeves was just Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 
gotcha. that was cool with everybody. Everybody was fine <laughs> with Keanu Reeves being Bill and Ted in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Right. When he started to become Mr. Action Hero, uh, that's when I think everybody started to really have much lowered expectations for Mr. Reeves' future film endeavors. Until Matrix. And then people well, but even The Matrix, it wasn't Keanu Reeves that That's made true. people like The, the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Keanu Reeves got really lucky. He got cast <laughs> in that film. So anyway, we've got a remake of Point Break. Now, here's an interesting thing. Point Break was originally uh, done by Catherine Bigelow. Right. Who, you know, Hurt went on Locker. later on to do Hurt Locker. Um, very, very accomplished uh, director. Mm-hmm. But Point Break was one of her early films. Right. Uh, and you had Keanu Reeves and you had Patrick Swayze. Right. Keanu Reeves starring as, oh gosh, what was his name? Bodie. No, no. It, Bodie was the name of Patrick Swayze, correct? I, I can't. Uh, admission, I watched this movie for the first time this past summer at the beach. <laughs> um, I'd never seen the movie before. Isn't, isn't, uh, isn't Keanu Reeves named like Johnny Utah or something like that? Oh, or well, yeah? One of them is Johnny Utah. I think so that's Keanu Bodie Reeves. And Johnny Utah. Yeah, okay. I think Bodie right, is okay. Patrick Swayze. See, like I said, I've only seen it one time. All right, so Gerard Butler is cast to be... Bodie, Patrick okay. Swayze's role. And I don't know if they've got a replacement for Keanu Reeves' character yet. Um, huh. But it looks Zac like... Efron. What's that? <laughs> Zach Efron? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, Johnny Utah. I am looking it up right now here. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, that was That is the name of uh, Keanu Reeves' character. A lot of people, um, I will say, Alan, a lot of people, this is a very beloved film. Yeah. And like I say, I just saw it for the first time this past summer. I was with a lot of friends who they really like. And they, they love it for like the camp factor and everything. It like, is they the can camp, quote yeah. lines from it. Were you ever in love with it? Not in love with it, but I do remember going to the movie theater and seeing it when I was young and okay. enjoying it at the time. Okay. Uh, but it's not one I've revisited. Not ever for since even then. like a camp factor. No, no. Okay. I enjoyed it on just a good action gotcha. surface level thing. Um, I think, unfortunately, it's one of those that at the time, it was kind of revered as a pretty cool action movie oh, and cool yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those that, looking back, Patrick Swayze, bless his soul, good actor, but at the time, I think he could have been seen a little bit as a, as a cornball you know, Yo. in his performances. Yes. And then you had Keanu Reeves, who everybody knew as Bill, uh, <laughs> Bill and Ted. Right. And then his movies just kind of got progressively a little bit worse over time. I think in more, it's in hindsight. 47 Ronin is a masterpiece. Oh, I heard that was a huge bomb. (laughs) I mean, I'm actually disappointed that that's the film our local big theater with their big new screen decided to put in there for a week. Yeah, it makes no sense. I would have much rather seen American Hustle or something in a much, much bigger screen. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway. There uh, wasn't really any point in me bringing up this article. And I just think, again. That's an example of something that you talk about retreading idea. Like I don't really see a reason for them to redo no. point break. Yeah. Um, unless there was a, did, did they have a director attached or they do, but it's, it's not anybody with a big name. Uh, it's yep. somebody who is his first job directing. He's uh, normally been a director of photography, uh, up until this point. I mean, if they were attaching, I don't know why a director, established director would do it, Yeah. but if somebody like Quentin Tarantino was deciding to do it, then yeah, I'd be like, okay, there must be a reason that he's going to remake this film and put his own spin on or do something with it. You know? Yeah. So, well, let me move on to a story I'm actually really kind of more interested in because these other two, honestly, yeah, not really. (laughs) I brought them up. I don't know why I brought them up, but I did. But let me talk about somebody I do want to talk about. That's Kevin Costner. Okay. All right. Here's the deal with Kevin Costner and me. I really, really liked Kevin Costner back in the early 90s, early midnight. Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Mm. Dances with Wolves. Mm. Man, that was. Kevin Costner could do no wrong in my book. Then came the postman. Which I never (laughs) saw. 
I intentionally never saw the postman because I did not want my perception of Kevin Costner to be skewed in any way. Okay. Um, and then I saw Waterworld, which I thought was okay. I think it got misaligned a lot he in wasn't the press. The problem with that no, movie. There was a lot of yeah. other issues there. Did you see um, Bull Durham 2 or Tin Cup? Oh, yeah. I did see Tin Cup, and I like Tin Cup. Okay. I thought Tin Cup was fun. It's not Bull Durham, no. but it was close. It was enjoyable. It's Bull Durham with golf. Golf, yeah. Um, the guy's making a little bit of a resurgence right now. He's kind of been laying low off the radar. Really, since Tin Cup, he hasn't been in that many films. He's, he was in Man of Steel. Well, that was kind of the beginning. That was his first time. That's the first time I'd seen him in a film that wasn't some uh, straight-to-video sure. film in a really long time. Sure. Was his part as Jonathan Kent in Man of Steel. Right. Before that, he was doing Hatfields and McCoys on TV. That was a miniseries on History Channel or something. Okay. Like a Western thing. Huh. Before that, I'm looking at his filmography, and man, I didn't. I don't know any of these films. The okay. Company Men, The New Daughter, Swing Vote, Mr. Brooks, The Guardian. I mean, well, nothing. I, is Three Days to Kill supposed to be his comeback? Well, I, that's what I was going to lead to, is that he's hits. actually got several films together okay. that I think if any one of these connects as a big hit, it could be his major comeback. Okay. First off, he did have the part of uh, Jonathan Kent Man of Steel, which I thought he was pretty good in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has a part in the new Jack Ryan movie, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, directed by um, Kenneth, Branagh. Kenneth Branagh, starring uh, Chris Pine. Right. But he kind of plays his mentor role, which could be a nice, fun part to kind of dig your teeth yeah. into. He kind of probably gets to play the crusty, kind of grumpy <laughs> mentor guy. But right. listen to some of these projects he's working on, uh, or is coming out soon. We do have Three Days to Kill, which that- I know you got, I got your groan from that. Um <laughs> right. I think I think even though the trailer makes it look very very uh, rudimentary run of the mill action movie, um, could be good. Luke Besson was a writer who I think is kind of hit or miss with big action movies. Okay, and you do have Mick G as the director, which Mick that's G. probably not a very good sign. Charlie's Angels one, but Haley Steinfeld is in it okay. uh, from uh, True Plays Grit, the yeah, and right. Ender's Game. Okay, uh, and then you've got a movie that this could be the one that puts them back. Okay, it's a movie called Draft Day. Okay. Draft Day. Draft Day by Ivan Reitman. Okay. And Are you talking football or military? Football. Okay. <laughs> uh, he plays the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, struggling to acquire the number one draft pick for his team. You watch the trailer for this movie, which I've watched. Which he's going back to sports. He's which going is back to sports. It's a cross between a comedy and a true sports drama movie. Is it based on any type of reality? Yes, it, it is. is. And he gets a very showy part. He gets to have fun with this part from what the trailer says. Mm -hmm. It's Ivan Reitman who, you know, of course, back in the day was the comedy god. And now uh, maybe not so much. What's the last thing he did? Oh, boy. I don't remember. His son's the one doing everything. Yeah. His son's doing really great work right now. But I think as far as Ivan Reitman goes, um, I think what we've got right now is, man, he's done some really kind of bad films last little bit. (laughs) No Strings Attached. My Super Ex-Girlfriend. So that doesn't bode too well for it, but I mean, going getting Kevin Costner back in a sports movie with some comedy, with some you know, a little more intense sports drama to it, hmm. that could be a good match. And it's got Jennifer Garner in it as well. Um, of all the ones you've mentioned, that is probably the only one I'm the slightest bit interested in seeing. Frank Langella is in it. Okay. Ellen Burstyn plays his mom. Uh-huh. I mean, it's got a good cast. Yeah. A good premise. It's a sports movie with Kevin Costner in it. That could be the one. So 
you with Kevin Costner, you, you, you admire any of his work, anything of his that stands out? I've, no, not really. No. Um, I was never on really on the bandwagon with Bull Durham. Um, really? I mean, it's okay. I have actually seen it. But um, yeah, just not that real hmm. into it. So, And Dances with Wolves, kind of, you know, there again, I saw it before the Oscars, but I just, there was a lot of hype about a big, long, epic thing. You'd have to tie me a chair to watch it again. So. Oh, what? You know how many times I saw that in the movie theater? How many? Four times. Wow. Yeah. Behind Top Gun, Return of the Jedi, and that probably uh, probably oh. was the third most frequently visited film I saw in my youth. Now, how many times did you go see Last of the Mohicans? Because you were actually in that. So I only you- saw it one time because in the cut that made it, the theatrical cut, you can barely see me. I got you. Yeah. Now, the director's cut DVD, I've seen many, many times because I'm much more visible in that film, <laughs> in that okay. cut of the film. I but no, it. I really, direct, uh, Dances with Wolves, for whatever reason, really connected with me. I loved it. I had the movie poster up in my college dorm room. Wow. Really liked that movie. Okay. Um, and I really was liking Kevin Costner at the time. He and Eddie Murphy are my two actors oh, that Murphy. I really wish they could get back in the spotlight and do some good work. And yeah. it's just because they're so talented. They've got such good charisma when they're on their game. And neither of them have put together anything good in the last 20, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I feel like there's still a lot of talent for Eddie Murphy. That I do too. Yeah. And it's just a shame that right now he either is just picking the wrong projects or he's not picking any projects. He's still doing these uh, kid family friendly right. movies and it's just not a fit for him anymore. Right. He needs to go do something kind of, kind of ballsy. I mean, in a way, right. Kevin Costner needs to get back into the sports genre and the Western genre. You know, that these guys have their milieus they need to get back into. Him, Kevin Costner doing like a Western, it'd be a hard sell, but that would be interesting. Well, some of his best work has been Westerns. You think about Desperado. He did. He did open range, which I saw part of. It was good. It was just a little slow, but it was good. Hmm. This Hatfield and McCoy's miniseries was supposedly really good. I never okay. saw it, but on the History Channel, it was a Western. Okay. I think that's his – he's really good at that, and he's really good at the sports movies. He's <laughs> got to get back into those. Draft Day could be the one to do that. Okay. So that's our news for now. A couple remake, revamp news, but then a little discussion of the filmography of Mr. Kevin Costner. So, there you go. Great. Nothing but diversity here on Candle that's Films right. for our, our listeners. So let's cap it off. We're running long on the show. We got a, we got our last thing we want to do. We do want to talk about our recommendations. These are films that you should be able to find online somewhere, either Netflix, iTunes, Amazon, wherever it may be. And they're either films that we just recently caught back up with, or ones we just think you ought to, you may have missed in your film watching experiences over the years. So, Chris, what do you have for us today? Uh, my film's going to be one from 2013 that I'm actually really surprised that you didn't catch up with. Okay. Um, and you may have beeped because you forgot about it because you actually have a tie to one of the uh, writers and director of the film. It's The Way, Way Back. And it's written by mm. Nat Faxon or Nathan Faxon and Jim Rash, who you, yes. I believe, went to college with Jim Rash. I did go <laughs> and worked on some uh, television production work with Mr. Rash, yes. So, um, And he's now in that show Community, which I believe you watch, and I've never caught up with it. I but. do. And let me just go on record as saying the latest uh, season of Community just started back. They got their front runner of the show back on after firing him for a year. Mm. The show, the first two episodes, premiered last week. Hilarious. Really? Absolutely hilarious. Okay. Funniest show on TV right now. So – uh, the Way Way Back is a comedy about, well, comedy drama about a young boy, a 14-year-old boy who goes with his mom and her new uh, boyfriend to the beach for the summer. And he finds a summer job and he tries to struggle with who he is, like how does he fit into his mom's new relationship with her, with her boyfriend. And 
it's just a coming of age story, mm-hmm. kind of in a year that had a lot of coming of age stories. Yeah. We had Mud, we had Kings of Summer, we had um, Spectacular Now, mm-hmm. um, but this one was more relying on the comedic side, and okay. I I really enjoyed it. Um, specifically, I'll say that uh, Sam Rockwell plays oh, yeah. a guy who's like the water park uh, manager that he goes to work at, and he steals the show and is amazing. Some of his best work that I think I've seen in a while. Well, and, I really like Sam Rockwell. Okay. I, Generally, we'll try to watch just about anything he's in. Uh, you know, it had, you remember the film Adventureland a few years ago? Yes, yes. Everything I saw in the trailers and the premise kind of kept harking back to that. I mean, was it of that kind of same style? I mean. Because they're both amusement park and kind of coming of age. And, yeah. It's, it's like that, except it's better written. Really? It's a, be- it's a better film. Okay. And the performances in it are much better as well. Good. Um, Allison Janney plays a next door neighbor. And she is hilarious as well, mm. but also very real. Like she's a very real person who's funny, but like the things she does are just very, felt very authentic. Um, so I, I, I say Steve Carell plays the, the boyfriend mm-hmm. and I was pleased to see him. I like Steve Carell, but a lot of times I just feel like he's doing kind of a spinoff of Michael Scott, which, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, mm-hmm. Michael Scott was very good on the office, but um, with this, he, he plays somebody that's not very likable. Okay. And the things he does for jokes and stuff aren't Michael Scott related at all. You know, it's just a very, I thought it was a very good performance from him. You know, I, I liked him in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. That was like the first role I saw him in where he wasn't trying to be Michael Scott to some degree. And I thought that was pretty good, but I, I have heard good things about his performance in this film you yeah. just talked about. So well, it's on my, it's on my list. I've got my little list of films I've got to catch up with from the last year. And that's definitely up there. You know, Jim Rash and his writing partner, uh, Matt Faction. Uh, it's Nat Faction, Nat which Faction. I may be short for Nathan. Yeah. Right, but yeah. They actually wrote the screenplay for The Descendants. Okay. Which was the uh, um, that's, that's George right, Clooney they film. They got the Oscar and mm-hmm. he did the little making fun of Angelina yep, Jolie, which right. endeared him to my heart already because as I yep. stated, I don't like her. So. But it was the Alexander Payne film, The, the Descendants. Right. Right. They wrote the screenplay for some comedy in it, but it was really mostly a heavy drama. Yeah. So this one goes a little more on the funny side, which, uh, yeah, Jim, Jim was a star of a, a show we did on, on, uh, the student television station called general college, which for years had been a soap opera, basically a college soap opera. Gotcha. Uh, when Jim came on board and became kind of the star of the show, he started turning it into more of a Woody Allen ish, uh, quirky <laughs> encounters on campus show, which was wow. really odd for a few years, but it was great. And uh, so I got to work on the work on that show a couple of times to edit some of that. Do you have any so. tapes of that? I, I actually, you know, when Jim started getting f- famous and popular through uh, Community and Reno Nine One One, he had a recurring role in. Okay. I tried looking through all my old student television tapes to see if I could find any of him in there, and I can't. Oh man! But uh, I do remember working a couple times with him. I don't think he'd ever remember me, but uh, sure. we did cross paths a few times. So, so he won't be going to the Oscars this year. With no, probably not. Okay. But he is. I'll say back in college, he was also a very talented individual. So uh, uh, we're very happy for all of his success so far. Awesome. Okay, my film probably cannot get more different. Okay. Than uh, the one you just described. Okay. Uh, I was inspired to see this film after uh, Spike Lee made a remake of it recently, and that's the film Old Boy. Okay. Now, the remake of Old Boy that uh, Spike Lee has done, starring uh, Josh Brolin, didn't do too well. Not <laughs> only critically, but commercially. I don't think anybody saw it. Critics hated it. Which is strange because uh, it's a family movie. Kind of like the... 
the original, right? You oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is a, this a is definitely, oh, yes. Get your kids, <laughs> pop some popcorn, come see the movie about a man who's kidnapped and imprisoned for 15 years, released, uh, seeks, seeks violent revenge <laughs> on his captor, only to find out the reason his captor kept him imprisoned, uh, kind of turns the story on his head, and then yeah. you find out what he's been doing, and it's, oh, it's, this this film was absolutely bug nuts insane and i there loved again, it caption for the video box yeah, bug nuts, nuts insane, insane. <laughs> i love this film absolutely loved it i have not been able to stop talking about it with people i come into contact with but it is very disturbing very messed up gotcha. um no we're joking when you say it's family no, no your kid should not, not be don't. your kid should not be in the same building where you're watching this movie okay because right. something might sleep out of it right it's violent it's disturbing and there are some plot twists and things revealed in the last 20 minutes of the film that just make your skin crawl. Now I have to ask you yeah. calling back to our review of Wolf of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. You say you like this film. Do you feel conflicted about liking it? No, no, I don't because okay. even though this is a very perverted twisted film, um, you, you sympathize with the main character, gotcha. even through the choices he's made in his youth that okay. you learn about. And the actions he's performing in the present that you find out about. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm, boy, I'm going to butcher names. I'm really, these are tough names. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but Minsik Chua stars as Dayson Oh. Okay. And he's really good. He's scary. <laughs> he's intimidating. But also towards the end, you're sympathetic. Okay. It's a story of someone who did some things they should not have done in the past, and it's coming back to haunt them. But it's also a matter of the haunting that this person is going through is way overdone for the action he did. Gotcha. So you sympathize. You feel really bad that he's being penalized for this simple mistake he made. But, man, it's the anguish he goes through in the last half of this movie is insane. Gotcha. Um, Chan Wook Park, I'm not – I've heard much about his other films. I have not had a chance to see them. I'm definitely more inclined to want to go see them now, uh, just because this film really, really got recently, to me. Oh boy. Or not old oh boy, but that's uh, the one you're talking about. Uh, 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 Stoker. Stoker was an American film he made, right. uh, starring uh, Nicole Kidman and Maya Wasikowska. Yes. Uh, but before that he did lady vengeance. He did sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, kind of a trilogy of revenge films with old boy. Right. So I will say, not for the weak of heart, not for those that can be easily shocked and disturbed by things that happen in a film. Um, it's not, it's not even as much the visual of what you see. It's the knowing what's going on and why it's happening and what this means for these characters is very gut wrenching and disturbing. I will say though, uh, just to go ahead and pre forewarn you, uh, this would be the only film I've ever seen with a scene of a man eating a live octopus. Got you. Whole. Got you. Not in pieces. Mm -hmm. With the octopus still alive. And it was not CGI or fake in any way. Uh, I did read up about it. It is a uh, tradition, Japanese tradition of actually eating octopus live, mm. octopi live. And uh, not boy. Not you'd care to experience. Um, well, no, definitely not before you go out <laughs> for dinner or anything. So, right. uh, But there again, if what I'm describing to you sounds at all interesting – and enticing. Or if you like violence done with a hammer. 
then this is a this is a movie to check out. Gotcha. So anyway, um, okay. So that's our recommendations of two very very different ones: yes. The Way Way Back and Old Boy. Um, available online. I know Old Boy was on Netflix. I could stream it on Netflix. Way Way, Way Way Back, Back is uh, iTunes. iTunes Rent. Yeah. You know, so a couple bucks, you can rent a good film. Mm-hmm. And tonight. I believe you can also pick it up at Redbox. So. Okay, awesome. So that's our film, our, our show for today. Man, good one. So let's recap. American Hustle, we both liked. Yes. You liked it a little more than me. Yes. Although we both give it good, positive reviews. Mm-hmm. Little bit of a letdown for me, but still a good movie. Wolf of Wall Street, I liked. You hated. Exactly. I liked it with serious reservations and serious guilt afterwards. You just hated. I hated. Um, yeah, easy enough. And then the film All Is Lost, I did not like, but I'm not going to say I hated. Right. I respected technically. I just don't ever want to see it again. Sure. And don't really, I'm not really recommending to anybody of my friends to go see it. <laughs> you liked it. I liked it. Yeah. And, uh, both of us admired it on the technical merits of what it was trying to do. And then we've got old boy and the way, way back as recommendations. So that is it for foot candle films for this week. Uh, when we get back together, we'll have a couple more films to reviews, maybe some more news to go into. We are getting close to Oscar nomination time. So whenever those are announced, the very next episode we're together for, we will go through the nominations as well and kind of give our picks of who we think should win or probably will win. in those, those categories, that'll be the last mention of 2013 films. We'll probably have, but we do have to do the, the Oscar deal, you know, it's just, it's a requirement. You got to do it. Uh, again, you're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv. Go check us out on the mesh.tv. That's T H E M E S H dot TV uh, to listen to old episodes of the show or to find other shows that you may like. What we would really love guys is if you would go subscribe to the show in iTunes and give us a rating, yeah. put in a star rating, even write a review. If you feel so inclined, not only is it good to hear feedback from our listeners, but it also helps with visibility of the show. So more people can listen Spread and find the, the show word. as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're slowly creeping up the ranks, Chris. I mean, I'll just say this on the side. There was a time period in the mesh network history that we were probably one of the lowest viewed shows oh man we have slowly been crawling up the it's a chain slow, it's a slow burn it's a slow burn but you know we're up there in the top half of our shows of the mesh network so we're, we're we're hanging on our own we do pretty good but we definitely would appreciate anybody spreading the love a little bit and telling some friends and family about it you know click on the subscribe button even if you don't listen to the episodes the uh, subscription button does help us so and with that, we'll wrap it up. Uh, if you're interested in what we're doing as a film society, Foot Candle Film Society, you can go to footcandle.org where we talk about films that we're screening here in Western North Carolina. Otherwise, we will see you next time we get together. Thanks so much for listening. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.